Yo, what's up? Welcome to another edition of the DLSS Podcast, episode 45. I'm your host, D-Love, and with me as always, to be confused with the rapper, rest in peace, but... I'm my nephew, Nate Dogg in the house. Nate Dogg, holla at him, where you at? I have no freaking idea where I am. Oh my gosh, well, well no, are you at least listen to your radio? What's a radio? Oh, my God. I have no idea what that is. Well, I hope you guys are because we have a jam-packed episode this week. So much to get to. I'm very pumped to talk about it. Of course, we're going to break down and recap UFC 252. Stipe Miocic cements his legacy as the UFC greatest of all time heavyweight. Um, And then, of course, break down more of the card with the co-main event. Not going to do a a full-on this segment rules this week, but we are going to do a mini one touching on the eye pokes and things like that. Uh, but then predictions. Ah, you ch- poke my eye. Predictions challenge recap points, and then of course looking ahead to next weekend UFC Edgar versus Munoz. Frankie Edgar taking on Pedro Munoz in the main event. But before we get into all the action, guys, I got a lot of housekeeping notes I want to knock out off the top of the show. First and foremost, I wanted to say thank you to Dave DeCourcy, man. If you guys listened to last week, kind of know where I'm going with this, but we are officially professional podcasters. He decided to pick us up and support the show. So thank you so much to Dave DeCourcy. And if you guys have any cash out refinance or home purchase loans that you are in need of, please make sure to hit him up at the DeCourcy Group, which is a division of Seacliff Mortgage. And make sure to reach out to him at www.thedecourcygroup.com. That's T-H-E-D-E-C-O-U-R-C-Y group.com. And make sure to let him know that you heard about him from the DLSS podcast. And it helps me out a lot. So thank you so much, Dave. It means the world to us. I'm real looking forward to working with you. And also thank Thank you so much to everybody that's been uh, picking up more batches of the turmeric tea, the recovery tea that I make. Uh, man, I can't, I can't thank you guys enough for the support. Uh, keep those orders coming because it really helps me out. So thank you again. And then, uh, okay, this is what everyone's interested in, the Verdum mask giveaway. Man, I am blown away with the responses I've been getting both in person and online. It's been extremely positive. It's, like I said, a bit overwhelming, but I'm really happy with the way it's worked out. So uh, a lot of people on Twitter and uh, throughout my socials have uh, entered. There's so many people to list, so I'm not going to be able to get to you all. But later on in the show, we are going to be doing a random drawing to see who the winner is. I'll be giving out my email address so we can get those shipment details and get the address to where I'll be sending that out. Uh, But before we move through, I wanted to make sure to just give a special shout out to a few people who have entered on Twitter, just because, man, like I said, without you guys, there there is no giveaway, there is no engagement, so it means a lot. But before I get to shouting out the people who entered, I also wanted to make sure to give a special thanks to uh, John Moore. Morgan of MMA Junkie, as well as Danny Segura of MMA Junkie, as well. Two of the uh, media members that were cool enough to play along and allow me to send them a mask and post it on their social media. So if you are on uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter, make sure to check them out um, at John. Uh, at MMA Junkie John for uh, John Morgan and then at Danny Segura TV for Danny Segura. Make sure to check out all their content. They both work for, like I said, MMA uh, MMA Junkie, which is a division of USA Today. So I'm really thankful to them for kind of playing along. And uh, yeah, so thanks again for that. But moving on to those who actually entered for the giveaway, a special thanks goes out to Houston MMA, which is the same handle at Houston underscore MMA on Twitter, um, as well as Ben at uh, ben E-D-I-K-T-B-R Owen Williams as well at O-T underscore Williams uh, all of these are on Twitter by the way uh, thank you so much for entering guys really appreciate it and then Polite Vulture same thing for his handle Polite Vulture this guy I just wanted to make sure to tell you guys go uh, if you have Twitter go and check him out he has these custom animated edits that he does of uh, it's basically like a sketch and a silhouette of the fighters a lot of times he'll do like um, a quiz like who, who do you guys think this fighter is uh, but it's 
they're really cool edits and make sure to give him a follow on Twitter because he's the man. So a little later in the show, we're going to do, like I said, put all these names of the entrance in a hat and just do a random drawing and see uh, who wins this thing. So thanks again for everyone who entered and we uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Dave, uh, for sponsoring us, dude. Super excited to work with you. I've never really met you. I know you and Dustin have sat down and, and talked. Uh, but it's so awesome to have people support us, and we're glad to support other people, especially other big names in the industry of podcasting, especially with MMA and MMA Junkies and all those guys. Um, you know, there's, we're humble here, and we love to support everyone. It's not it's not about just us. It's about the whole community as a whole and just really showing support for everybody because I think unity is super important. And you were so, saying this earlier, like it's not – we didn't even – we don't intend on even getting a sponsor ever. Obviously, I want this to progress and, and become more professional and become a thing and blow up and all that. So that's the next obvious step. But, yeah, that's we're just doing it as a labor of love. Yeah, trust me. I'd much rather sit and, and talk about fights in my house all day than actually work a 9 to 5. So <laughs> that's for sure. I'd rather do this for 9 to 5. So thank you for your sponsors, guys, Dave and everyone else. Thank you guys for supporting us on uh, Twitter and Instagram and uh, sharing your feedback about the podcast and also with your support, allowing us to do these giveaways. So we really appreciate it. Yep. And then so now we're just going to jump right into UFC 252. Of course, we'd like to just kind of blaze through the uh, fights down lower on the card, although um, we're going to spend a little bit more time at the top. But I cannot get, not give them at least a little bit of shine. The very first fight on the night ended up being the fight of the night. Kaya Kamaka taking on Tony Kelly. Holy shit. Kamaka in the first round seemed extremely explosive and sharp at boxing range. Landed a lot of good right hands. Basically, we, I thought this fight was going to be over in the second round, by the way. The first round went. Kai Kamaka, man, he was... Very sharp, very clean and technical, and very accurate as well. But Tony Kelly is a beast, could take a hell of a punch. And then, Nate, won't you kind of tell how the second round started to turn the tide a little bit? Well, the second round, Tom Kelly just woke up, you know? No longer hesitated and, and, and fired back immediately. He engaged in a lot of forward movement with, like, one-twos and grabbing immediately into the clinch, throwing a lot of body knees and, and upward elbows and really just started attacking him and firing back and actually matching the pace of Kai Kamako. But the thing is, Kai just kept firing too, man, and Kai was just one step ahead every time. But, man, did Tom Kelly – or, sorry, Tony Kelly really, really get into um, – uh, the fight. He actually came back and, uh, you know, it was really close. Uh, it was just a war, an absolute nonstop in the pocket exchange. And Tony Kelly really surprised me. So, I mean, obviously, Kai took the win, but it would have been great um, if, um, you know, Tony Kelly maybe woke up in the first round. Unfortunately, it took him about uh, into the second round, all the way like to the about third. Like halfway through the to, second To wake yeah. up and fire back. But if he fought like that the way he fought at the beginning, I think it would have been potential fight of the year. This. I mean that's that's a steep. Uh, but for debuters, for a couple debuters, of debuters, it's an, it was it, it was, was an a, excellent. Fight. It was a war. I mean, Kai, the, both of them had one fourteen to one fourteen significant strikes, so that explains it. That means Tony Kelly had to come up in the second round and just increase his output almost by double what he was doing. But the thing that really separated Kai is the five takedowns. Yeah, right. You know, obviously that, and then Kai also had much more. You could, there was definitely a power advantage in Kai with his right hands and his exchanges. Uh, just a much more stronger puncher. I mean, Tony was hitting hard too, but you could tell there's a slight power advantage in Kai. Kai is sharp, man. Uh, both, and then Tony's sharp too, man. I just wish he he turned it on a little early. It took him to get hit a few times to wake up, but that's usually the story. Yeah, I mean, you got to give it up to Tony, even in the loss, especially as a debuter and debuting fight that got everybody in talking about. You know, kind of, uh, you know, fighting the night for a UFC debuter, but on both sides, man, that's a really good way to make a splash and get your name out there. Uh, another another fight actually right after this was a good heavyweight fight, a good yes. knockout by Chris Dukaus. 
Um, really, man, he's just a knee out of nowhere. You know, unfortunately, uh, I thought it was a good call. You know, the ref saw that uh, Parker Porter just ended up turning his back after getting hit with a couple good right hands. Uh, you know, Parker Porter for a heavy was pretty uh, flexible. He had some good high kicks and, and pretty flexible. But the biggest problem is when he was pressed, uh, when, when he was getting put on his back foot, he would lean back and kind of do a boxer roll. And he, the thing was, he didn't account for the range of Chris. And uh, really, when he shoulder rolled, he, his left hand was down. His shoulder wasn't really protecting his chin. It was down, so it left his chin actually exposed. I mean, if you're going to shoulder roll, protect your, your chin with your shoulder. But it just ended up exposing his chin even more, getting him stuck on that back leg. And being a heavyweight, he already has a problem moving back. He's, he's already having his feet. And, and Chris was actually a much more lighter heavyweight on his feet than, than Porter was and he just got caught with a 1-2-1-2 one, two, one, two, and then uh, turned his back and then this knee came out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, he was bent over Parker Porter's bent over and turned away and this knee out of nowhere just cracked him. He fell over and uh, bounced off Dukaus, the cage and got on him and, and the ref called it immediately which is a good call. I mean you turn your back and then you eat a knee like that and this knee was on the guard man and this guy still went flying so yeah. that was a good performance too. And then Chris Duka uh, Daukas rather sorry he has got a brother Kyle Daukas who he, he went through a three round decision with Arnold Allen who's very a lot of people are really high on Arnold Allen and that was a bloody really high paced back and forth brawl so it looks like these uh, Daukas brothers have some potential in the UFC and you know how the UFC likes some marketing gimmicks so a couple brothers, that's cool. Uh, but, yeah, no, good performance by him. Like you said, a little bit bigger, um, you know, had some uh, loose skin there. Could definitely be in a little bit better shape. I'm not fat shaming or anything. I mean, he was light on his feet and moving well, like you said. So it looks like the ceiling could be high for this guy. Ashley Yoder ends up losing a decision to Lavinia Souza. Close fight. I personally thought I Yoder thought had, had it. it. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think it's a robbery. I, I could see it the other way. I'm not a fan of the judging because there was a couple 30-27s in there. Yeah. But, however, you know, Souza getting the win, I, I can't necessarily argue with i mean when you watch the fight if you guys are able to watch it yoder did have uh some good kicks uh she threw a lot of kicks a uh, push kicks couple to the good face. push kicks couple push kicks to the face but there was a huge power disadvantage um her shots and she was pressing most of the time she was mostly pressing and cutting off the cage uh but uh Sozo was able to provide just as much back i mean the numbers show were providing more shots back um and she also had a takedown uh early in the in the fight but uh I think with pressure and the amount of output that Yoder had, and, and, and when you put all those together, I think Yoder uh, just did, a for me, a, a little more to show that she was in control of the fight. Yeah. But it, again, it could have gone either way. It's a close enough fight um, to not really... You know, you know. it's close, but the thing is, the one thing I can say is Yoder's... The, the 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 way she strikes like she's somewhat accurate but there's not a lot behind it yeah. so it kind of looks like she's not doing much damage at all other than just keeping the girl at bay sure i'm not um, trying to talk shit on any fighters period but no. like uh chukasian's kind of like that um was, I, there was yeah. another woman in the ufc that specifically just you know she's got a lot of output just doesn't look like there's a lot of pop and so it's you're right that yeah. can affect the judges especially perception. when you have another girl who's cracking you with, with these hard shots and uh and then gets a takedown you know yeah, it's it's hard. I but like, like I said, I, like I'm saying, I I counted those shots because they landed. They kept her at bay. Uh, she threw some great kicks, a couple good high kicks to the face, uh, front front kicks to the face. Yeah, um, I thought those are were more harder and significant to land than than some of the right hands uh, of Sosa. But I don't think Sosa landed really a lot from what I saw. Um, and I and I think that Yoder landed a lot more kicks to the legs and was a little more active and had. It did have some control in that, and, and it was mostly in control when it came to cutting off the cage and and keeping Sosa moving. And I just felt like Sosa the whole time was just on the defense. Um, 
So I, I thought it was really, really close. Could have gone either way, but I would have given the advantage to, to Yoder. But yeah, I scored it 2-1 to one for Yoder as yeah. well, but it was close. Danny Chavez, the first underdog on the night to get a win over TJ Brown. Close in terms of total strikes, but Chavez had four takedowns and two passes, and he was doing a lot of work on the ground, basically nullifying a lot of uh, Brown's attributes and, and yeah. things he brought into this fight. So go and check out the replays of all these so far, guys. And then Felice Herrig, first round, 1 minute 44 seconds. Very, very quick submission. Yes, Germany... Or, sorry, Jandaroba is a very, very highly skilled jiu-jitsu Don't sleep on this chick, guys. I'm telling you, don't sleep on this. This chick's 15-1, and one, and a lot of you probably haven't even heard of, of Jandaroba. Verna. We'll just say Verna. Verna. But, dude, like, when you look at her, she's got, like, and this is nothing personal, but, like, she's got a little fro. She's got her. She got a lazy eye, and you look at her, and you see her striking in the back, and you're like... You don't, and then you see. I saw a record. I was watching her. I was like, "Oh, she, okay, so she's a jujitsu, uh, high level jujitsu girl." And then I was like, "Wow, she's fifteen and one." And so I started thinking, "Well, what's this girl's secret sauce?" And then I see her fight man, and immediately just faints the jab, takes uh, Felice down immediately, puts her on the ground, uh, closes position, and just gets the uh, gets the deep armbar victory in quick. So yeah. and Felice Herrig, I feel. I mean, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of her, but I, she's coming back from a knee surgery, and she's put in a lot of work. She's changed camp. She's had a lot of adversity, but it's continued to try to push forward and make sure that she's, you know, making the bo- the me- best of this uh, career choice that she's made. And, you know, I, I always feel feel for people who have gone through adversity and have done the right things to try to come back and, rehab, in her case, rehab her knee. And, you know, she looked in great f- uh, physical shape, so I know she's a heavy top pressure, good at, uh, at wrestling, not necessarily um, as high level as uh, Verna in terms of the jiu-jitsu, but I felt like her top pressure and uh, strength and things like that may come into play, but... Her fight IQ, man, she kind of, in my opinion, put herself uh, in the, that position early. And uh, Verna just capitalized on it. And, uh, yeah, you don't want to go to the floor with someone in that, that early of a fight. You're, you're dry. They're fresh. And, uh, yeah, she she, immediate, she started to defend correctly, but then eventually it was all she wrote. Uh, congratulations to Verna on, on a – I mean, because Felice had a, a lot of UFC experience in comparison. So congratulations to Verna on uh, – I think this was her debut as well or maybe only her second fight. So uh, taking out a big name in Felice. Herring. And then our boy, Jim Miller. I called it. He had one round to get it done. Vince Pichel was a lot bigger and stronger, had a lot more top control than I expected him to have. He fights in infrequently, so you're not really sure what he's looking like fight to fight. But man, after that first round, which wasn't, he wasn't a few precarious situations. Jim Miller almost was able to get the veteran sub, but uh, Pichel ended up withstanding that first round. And ended up just putting a lot of damage on him in that top position. Yeah, he was just much stronger, I think, than Jim Miller anticipated, you know. And uh, Pichel even said that, you know, he's confident before the fight, that he's much confident. You know, he's a brand belt. He's very confident and um, being on the ground with, with Jim Miller. And, you know, he was just a, the naturally stronger man. And I think Jim Miller was having a real hard time with the get-ups. And just, he was draining him. You know, and you could really see, uh, you know, Jim fatiguing uh, and it's so much h- harder to to get up and then strike again when you're that fatigued and have to uh, put things together. Um, you know, Michelle just did a great job at holding him down and and laying in some good uh, shots from the ground. And uh, especially towards the beginning of the first round, he landed some good ground and pound. I mean, he was threatened a couple times with a few submissions, but you know, he started to just really just get uh, half guard or or side mount and and really just try to and just held held him down and was able to get some good shots in and yeah. Jim Miller really couldn't transition as well as he could you know Jim Miller's great off his back but it's very hard 
to to do anything off your back if your legs and your arms are are pretty much held down the whole time and and if you can't transition and I think he was just too tired to transition and Pichelle was much stronger so it really um, allowed uh, Pichelle not only to control the fight but it, it allowed Pichelle to stop Jim Miller uh, from transitioning and being a real threat yeah. uh, on the ground and if he can't and he can't couldn't and Jim couldn't stand up and catch up either so it, yeah. he did a great job I mean a, a great adjustments yeah and we talk about and one of the reasons I go for Jim Miller in the first round or first and second round is I mean he is up there in age I believe he's 36 and like uh, or he's in, his, he's in his 30s I know that for sure but the 36 number that's standing out is because he makes um, history every single time he fights because he just surpassed Cowboy for the most UFC fights at 36 um, and uh, so he's, he's up there in age he's, he's a veteran of the game so he needs to use that savvy and and try to as we talked about earlier get a hold of someone early when they're dry and he's fresh and and not to saying he can't last three rounds which we just obviously saw he went to, he took went to a decision he didn't get finished but it's one of those things where he understands where he is in his career and his skill set so of course it's kind of a front-loaded game plan and with Pichel draining him over time like you said the get-ups were hard and then he wasn't even able to get up over time took a lot of damage from the top it, it just slowly but surely drained him congratulations to Pichel on getting a veteran name on under his belt as well yeah that takes us to our next one Rob Devashvili versus John Dotson um Kind of went how we both thought. Just didn't get a hold of him and get him down and keep him down. If you got, dude, he, what was it? Seven, dude, he, seventeen takedown attempts, yeah. but none of them. Okay, two officially. Yeah, and a Incredible. few times where he lifted him up really high, and he thought, like, what's the best way I can put Dotson down without <laughs> putting myself in a position to get screwed? Yeah, and at the same time keep him down. And man, Dotson is just a squirrely, a squirrely down, man. man uh, you know, but Marab was just, you know, Dotson was just slightly out of range, had a hard time finding his range, and I think that was because he was hesitant on getting too exposed to the takedown. Uh, and, you know, Devashvili was just able to have uh, a little more strikes and, uh, you know, 50 to 27 on paper. And he had two takedowns. I mean, they did count two of them, but were they really countable in most people's eyes? I don't know, because he got a fairly quick. I can't remember a time where Dotson was on his back for more than, like, two seconds, you know. Not even, yeah. Not even. He got up pretty quick. Credit this, to him and his get-ups. You know. His, he's just scrambling ability is just second to none. Yeah, you know, I, Dotson just needed to exchange more and be comfortable in the pocket. I mean, he was already already really squirrely. His, his get-ups were good. He has plenty of cardio. He's cardio for days. You can tell from this fight he had more in him. I wish he should have just been a little more comfortable, found his range and just landed a few more strikes. There's some times where he was out of range and Marab would land and uh, and, and land like a, a kick or inside kick. or a, He actually landed a nice uh, back fist to, to jab right hand, which was cool. He landed a spinning back fist and then came back around with a jab and a right overhand. Um, but what was happening here is John Dodson was having a hard time after strikes were landing on him, re-engaging. Uh, and when he did try to re-engage, Marab was very good at being in and out. And not only was he good at being in and out, but what plays a huge uh, factor in John Do John Dodson even having more of a problem with range is that John Dodson was already out of range in the normal exchanges because he was worried about that takedown. He was hesitant a little bit with his strikes. So I wish he would have kind of closed the gap a little bit, sh uh, striked in the pocket, didn't have, and then his timing was a little off. You know, he'd get hit, and then by the time Marab was out, then he would rush in for a strike, or he'd rush in with like a straight one, two, left switch over hook, right over hook, uh, and he was just a little off, man. Um, and that happens, especially when you're facing a guy who's a very aggressive wrestler and you're a good striker. He's, sometimes you're so hesitant on being able to strike because you don't want to overcommit or you're afraid to get too close because you don't want to get taken down. But sometimes you need to be a little more wide-legged stance, get in the pocket box a little bit, be prepared for that takedown, but you have to close the gap so you can start landing. And you have to make your opponent respect you. Make him know that if he gets close to you or even tries to take down that there's going to be some repercussions. And you got to score your points, especially if you're getting taken down a lot, taken down a lot. 17 takedowns. 
when you're getting taken down the whole time, even though you're getting back up, can imagine how much time that consumes per round. Yeah. So all that time you're defending takedowns is time that you could have been scoring. Uh, so you got to make up for every time you're, you're playing the get-up game because even though he's taking you down, you're getting back up, he's, he's showing control most of the round. So it was just... Uh, overall, that's exactly how we kind of saw it playing out is that, you know, Dodson would kind of have a hard time with the aggressive attempts in wrestling that Devashvili would have. And Devashvili also has decent striking uh, for that weight class and, and in general. Um, and the cool thing is, like they said, he was very patient. Usually he has much more output and he's more aggressive. But with Dodson, he was more patient and he was able to keep his distance, land his strikes, and, and attempt his takedowns when needed, uh, and not overexpose himself because Dawson does have a good uh, left hand. You and know, speed so. advantage too. Yeah, and so the hand speed. You know, it, what it came down to was just uh, uh, the pressure of Devashvili. Uh, he found his range, and, and Dawson had a hard time really making a, adjustments in the range department and landing and keeping up where he needed to in order yeah. to get a significant win. Yeah, and I think he's kind of, I feel like his temperament generally and some of the fights he's lost before this one have been a product of him being too tentative and not being active enough with his strikes. And all I can ever do to give this guy compliments is about his speed. I feel like he has a hand speed advantage not only in this fight but in most of his fights. I mean, he's coming up from flyweight. So he, I feel like he's got that. Like you said, he's and got... And his takedown defense. Exactly. His know? scrambling ability is amazing. So so don't be afraid to get a little closer yeah. in exchange. Especially if you're starting to lose and you know be behind on the judges' scorecards. You have to commit to some of those strikes yeah especially when uh you know you're at that point in your career where you you fought for the title you you've had these close shots and right now it might seem to a lot of people that he's slowly moving backwards uh just away from that title shot and then he'll just have a good career but i know he's got the we all know he's got capabilities of doing these things and it's just small adjustments uh and it sucks to see a guy who was close to the title and then is a great fighter almost every fight, but it's almost the same story where he's just a little hesitant in trusting his abilities to strike. And at this point in his career, I I, I would believe kind of have to go for broke. that you have yeah. to go for it, man. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, don't be a retard and go get knocked out. And I yeah. we know he's not like that, but get in the pocket a little bit, widen your stance, be prepared for the takedown, but find your range. You need to get in there a little more and get those strikes on target, or at least get it to the point where your strikes are touching his guard. Uh, you see this with a lot of fighters these days. Um, not a lot, but the, it's kind of like the moral of the story when, when it comes to situations like this, where when it comes to decent striker and, re and hardcore wrestler versus that good, well-rounded mixed martial artist um, who's a high-level martial artist when it comes to striking. And you just see that martial artists kind of lose his confidence in his striking abilities and kind of be a little hesitant. And he, it always ends up losing it by a close decision or by dis losing to decision. Um, and it's usually because of being hesitant or not being within range to strike or being hesitant on striking, so when you, by the time you do want to counter back, not only are you frustrated because you're not hitting him, but he's already moving in and out, and then when you miss, he's trying to take you down. And it's a frustrating game, but you need to just get a little closer, wind your stance, and you got to at least get those hands on target instead of close to the target. You need to start putting, putting touches on him. Yeah. And I know people that are listening, if you don't understand, I, I have been coaching, and I've, I, I have... I've been doing Muay Thai for, for years and years, working with world champions, professional athletes, and sparring with the best and doing my thing. Um, and, and my biggest advice is you, you need to get within striking range, at least to the point where you can touch their guard. If you are the whole fight, you can't touch their guard at all, you're out of range. If, if I can't touch his guard, at least with a jab, it's going to be harder to touch his face, but I need to be able to touch his guard. 
if I can't even get to the point where I'm touching his guard or being able to kick his leg and he's that far out of range, I'm going to just get outpointed. I need to be at least to a point where I can touch his guard. Now, if I know my... That's my, called finding your distance over time in a fight. Exactly. What he's describing is called finding your distance over time. You know, and... and you can't do it if you don't. You can't, yeah, yeah, and if you don't find your guard and you're just playing this game where you have to rush forward to at least try to get one shot, because if you watch it, a lot of guys don't find their distance because they're hesitant and they're worried about getting taken down and they're uncomfortable, that when they do fire back, they're way out of range and they're rushing forward and they're exposing themselves even more, not only to get hit hard, but to get to get double-legged. And um, if you can just find your range, and all it takes is just taking like three or four inches forward, like just changing your, your, your distance a little bit more forward, and in the pocket maybe, now that you're closer to him, if you're worried about getting him in the guard, just move your head a little bit, um, make it harder for him to hit you, add some more feints, and start touching him. Uh, and widen your stance if you're worried about a wrestler. Obviously, I, I'd be touching him, but I'd be prepared for the takedown. I'm making those adjustments. So the whole time I'm touching him, I'm just like, okay, I have to be prepared for the takedown. So every time I exchange with him, I'm ready to sprawl. You know, those small adjustments. But, you know, that, that, you know not saying that Dodson couldn't do that, but it's just I see this happen, and it sucks because I'm like, man, I, I wish I could be there to be like, hey, don't be so hesitant, man. Like, you're good. He's good. You know, I, John Dodson is, is great. I know I'm on this topic for way too long. Well, I'll, I'm going to bring it home for us. But keep going. Um, yeah, it's just like we see this happen a lot, and it, and it, what it comes down to is just uh, fear, fear of being taken down, and and you got you don't want to limit yourself from your weapons and your tools. Yeah, trust in your abilities, uh, make the adjustments, but you got to get within range, especially if you're if you're falling behind like that. Trust in his striking because he could get his get ups were so quick. Yeah, just get in there and strike, and if he takes you down, get up as soon as you can. At least you're landing, keeping up, and and your chances of hurting him and out striking him is much better. Especially if you're hitting him a lot, he's going to be much more hesitant on trying to shoot on you. Yeah. So don't make it to the point where he's able to touch you, touch you, take you down, touch you, touch you, take you down. Because now he's not worried about exchanging with you because he's not getting any repercussion for it. Yeah. He's not worried about shooting on you because. He's in control. He knows that you're not going to fire back with anything. You're hesitant, so what you're giving him this confidence that that's just shutting you down every time. You gotta you gotta keep up with the pace. You gotta keep in that pocket. You gotta keep striking with him or take angles. Like Dotson was taking angles like his coach did, but on the angles he wasn't firing back. Like he'd angle angle, and during those half angles, like during that angle, he had good left hands on the pipe. He had good body shots or right kicks uh, on those angles, but he he didn't do anything. He angled, and by the time he angled, he was hesitant on throwing after he angled and. Uh, Devos Feely was able to adjust in with him and get his distance back. During those angle movements, he should be firing. But he would angle, fire. But by the time he angled and fired, Devos Feely already pivoted and adjusted. And so it was back to being out of range again. So you have to... A lot of a lot of things that, you know, could have been adjustments that could have been made. But um, I just... It's a bummer because the moral of the story is John Dodson has all the capabilities to, I think, be a world champion. It's just... Uh, it sucks for me to see fighters, you know, just unfortunately feel a little hesitant and a little worried and not trust in their abilities. Maybe I'm not saying that was the case, but I know it happens, especially coaching and being coached for years and doing it myself. I've been hesitant too. And, and after the fight, I'm like, man, why was I so hesitant? Like I, he got up 17 times. He's probably like, man, I shouldn't have been that worried about his takes. on. I should have put hands on him a little more. I should have closed the distance. So. All right, I'll shut up. Yeah, no, it's just uh, what I was going to say is that every single – that's why we love mixed martial arts because every single fight gives you some sort of analogy and uh, to, about life. And, like, one of the things I wanted to say about this is that it's a testament 
when you see someone like Jod Dotson with physical attributes and abilities and he doesn't access his potential and that this fight more than others seems to give you a, a great example of what how much of fighting is mental and how much uh, you know it doesn't matter if you have technical skills in your body if your mind doesn't allow you to execute Absolutely. on them so like the, another great example I mean think about how Jorge Masvidal has made such a tra- dramatic change and turn in his career over the last couple you know year and a half two years since and he had been in the mixed martial arts game for over 16 years at that point he went on this trip out into and did some um you know reality tv show but it was in the middle of nowhere and didn't have any access to phone or social media or just any technology for a while and he kind of got right with his mind that's what the whole resurrection is about mentally for him he completely changed his mindset on what he the way he approaches going into these battles and so that has attributed to so much more success for him and that's kind of in a nutshell what we're talking about with John Dotson not going in there not to lose or not to get taken down but go in there with a mindset to afflict damage use your abilities use your physical skills and and all that stuff and bring those to bear which is it's just what is trying to be displayed under these bright lights uh, on the biggest stage right it's called a stage because you're out there to perform and if you're not performing it it sounds like it's especially from a technical person like yourself that's taught these skills and and explained to people that they how and when and why they need to execute and when they're not it's just very frustrating to you to see john dotson out there so you're like he could be doing this he could be doing that he could just, you know so you have all these like options for what should have taken place but just doesn't so it's frustrating what's it yeah the biggest frustration part is Something that would have just changed the fight dramatically is him moving four, four inches. inches forward. <laughs> you know, just just getting a little bit closer. That comes with a risk, though. So, like you said, t- tentativeness in terms of throwing his strikes also affects his abil- his willingness to get closer and get in the pocket. You know? Yes, uh, but you know, you got to take your chance at this point in your career and trust in your abilities. You know when to sprawl. You you have he's he's got great reaction time. He's super fast, uh, and. Yeah. He just allowed Devashvili to, to control the fight. But we don't want to take anything away from Rob. He had an excellent game plan. He was very patient, as you put it. And he made sure to not overexpose himself because, I mean, Nathaniel Wood got TKO'd in his last fight by Dotson and it's partially because he walked into it. So, he, you know, Rob didn't want to necessarily do that. So we're going to jump ahead. Uh, Herbert Burns, Gilbert Burns' brother, was also a heavy, heavy favorite that got taken out. And also was heavy coming in. Uh, yeah, that's right. He Four missed pounds. on the scale. Uh, Daniel Panetta came out and just put this guy like this. six year hiatus by the way guys damn so he's out but, for six Daniel Pineda was out for six years came back featherweight bout he took him down uh several times he 57 to 10 on the significant strike or the total strikes um I mean he ended up getting him in the crucifix position later on in the fight and ended up getting the TKO in the second round so yeah congratulations Do- dominating performance really <laughs> unexpected Herbert Burns was a, a, a favorite so uh you know Pineda even said keep Betting against me, making my homies money. Like, don't keep betting against me. You know, Fanda was the underdog here. And, uh, man. That this, name value. He said, a lot of people given that Burns name value. Yeah, with, he with said, I, I got that MMA jiu-jitsu. I got that jiu-jitsu with punches and elbows. You know, it's different, you know, when you got you got guys that you hear are great on jiu-jitsu. But everyone's great at jiu-jitsu until you get in an MMA jiu-jitsu battle. And you have to try to put someone in an armbar where you're getting elbowed in the face. Or, or try to transition uh, smoothly while you're getting punched and you're getting getting freaking elbowed and it's just they, there's that saying that says you, what do you do where you take a black belt and you punch him in the face you turn him into a brown belt <laughs> yeah. you punch him in the face they turn him to a, 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 a belt you know, purple a belt belt lower yeah you know. so. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're not trying to hate on Herbert, but it's just good with these, uh, 
you know, newer to the UFC guys that have come out and had a couple good performances, you got to kind of throw something, throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. You got to see where he actually falls in terms of the division. So this is a wake up call for him. He definitely needs more skills other than being good off his back. I mean, his striking's looking sharp on the mitts and pads, but it's he's been tough to bring it to bear in, in an actual fight. Yeah. But congratulations to Panetta. Don't want to take anything away from him. So, um, all right, guys. So this next one, I don't really have much to t- to say on the matter. Jose, uh, I'm sorry, Jose Junior Dos Santos versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike. I kind of, the fight played out exactly as I was worried. I went with Dos Santos. He was definitely trying to do the Overeem game plan and touch and move, stay on the outside, use his speed, landed a couple good right hands. Um, But the smaller cage, these are the only two things I'll say about it. The smaller cage, I don't know if came too much into play with it, but anybody that knows uh, about like fighting in a ring, right? There's four corners, and you can uh, subtly with footwork move your opponent into positions that you want them to be to corner them. So you can move them back, you can move them into the corner essentially, so that you can execute execute closing off the different exits that they have and and putting forth your offense uh, in a in a, even with a buddy, you know, while they're trapped essentially, right? Junior Dos Santos, at the point of getting knocked out, was back against the octagon. People have gotten a lot better at utilizing the the their wider angles than the 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 ninety degree angles in a boxing ring, but. Um, basically, Rosenstruck had him backed up against the fence. He's, he curved out to his left, Junior Dos Santos' left, to try to get out of the way. And it reminded me, again, his back off the fence, it reminded me of the Justin Gaethje-Barboza fight, um, where Barboza was similarly was trying to circle off the fence. Uh, Justin Gaethje, in this case, Rosenstruck, was pretty much almost square at that point, and then was able to switch over and throw pretty much like a right hook or right overhand. And uh, like I said in last week's episode, Junior had a potential approach to be able to win him the decision and I was just worried about how washed his chin is I think he should potentially consider retirement he's had so many wars he's been around the game for a long time he doesn't need to do anything else I just don't want to see him continue to go out like that yeah I mean he's getting older but every Pardon time me. I see Junior fight you know he still looks good the biggest issue that I have is with Junior's is he's a very fluid in and out like ja- he, he loves to jab jab bodies he's got good boxing for the heavyweight division he's got great power and he's still light on his feet for for being an older man and being a heavyweight but the issue is when he's pressed or when overhands come or if he if he gets pressed with like a jab jab overhand or jab left hook right if he hook he gets touched on the chin at all it yeah, seems like lately i mean but anyone in the division that's heavyweight gets touched on the chin most likely they're going out the biggest problem is with when I junior mean, how many shots did Stipe take in the main event which we're talking about yeah that's a good point but DC's also coming from light heavyweight. True. So, um, but I mean, DC did knock him out in the I first was like, round. And too. DC took a lot of shots but, in this fight. But the, the different the difference is that this is a huge part. Is that I said this before the fight even happened. Is that Dos Santos has a tendency to lean back and and put both left and right hand down slightly lower because he likes to jab and keep his right hand down. If you watch him, and his chin's in the air. If you watch him fight, his chin is never tucked. It's always tall. And he and he's in and out, in and out, and he and he kind of has a high chin for a heavyweight, especially when he's moving back. Especially when yeah. he's moving backwards, and he gets caught. So your chin that high against the cage, getting hit by a man like Jarzinho Rosenstruck, you're. I don't care who you are, you're going to go to sleep. And and unfortunately, you know, Dos Santos has that tendency to have a high chin for a heavyweight. I mean, that's the the tough part. I mean. The truth is, I I would prefer that he have both hands up and and then cr- lean forward and have a slight crunch to his torso, have a high guard as he's moving backwards, uh, or or come in forward and engage in the clinch, other than lean back and expose his chin, especially as a heavyweight. 
Um, but sometimes that's just built in a fighter style and sometimes it can expose you. And here he got caught as moving backwards as he's moving backwards into his left. Uh, Jarzine Rosenstruck was able to just kind of do like a double right hook and he didn't even put his body into it. It was like a lunging hook hook, and mostly just forearm and shoulder. So it shows you how much power this man packs. Yeah. Um, but Dos Santos before that, I mean, you look at the numbers, but I saw Junior Dos Santos throwing way more than 24 strikes. A lot of jabs, jab bodies. I felt like he threw way more. On well, paper, it says... These are landed sto- uh, landed total strikes? I don't even know if that... I'm gonna. My opinion is I think that's not even correct. I think Jarzino didn't even throw that much. He just was able to throw less and catch A lot of those 42 strikes were like during that final during that barrage. Final bl- yeah. barrage. He kinda, I think he fainted a jab and then ended up throwing a kind of like an uppercut right hand to initially hurt him, and then when he was circling off, finished it off with that right hook. Yeah, you know, you know. How much is it that Rose, I mean, like you said it was an arm punch. I mean, I know he packs a lot of power. So does Francis Ngannou, which are the two people that Junior's got knocked out by the last two fights. So you got to give him that credit there that those are a couple hammers throwing heavy strikes. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, I'm worried that that's, you know, I mean, he's taken, I don't know if it's now three KO losses in a row. I just, you know, for his, I don't know, if if, if, if his chin is just not the way it, it used to be, I guess okay. Well the exact same thing happened to DC, which we'll touch on how, how he got dropped. It was almost the same exact combination. But he definitely took the shot a lot better. Yes, he did. That's and point. that's and that's a light heavyweight going yeah. up to heavyweight. I and he know. doesn't and D C hasn't been knocked out like barely at all. So yeah, this could be a, a chin issue. I, uh, I worry so much. And then the point is, is you said he's, t- he's standing sideways, which is more of a boxer stance, but it also in his striking kind of has like, in terms of his bouncing and step a little bit of a uh, wonder boy Thompson in there. He's just kind of basically trying to utilize his footwork and his distance to evade strikes rather than um, like his chin being down and, and high guard, like you're talking about. Right. Well, that's yeah. going to be difficult as a heavyweight in the smaller cage. And so that's ultimately what happened. He got back to, Oh, after getting hurt, he got backed up against the fence. Didn't have anywhere to go. And if, if you don't have a better defensive style other than just trying to move your feet and not be there for the strikes when you're cornered, then you're going to be there for the strikes. And your head's going to be up in the air. Yeah. And you're going to get caught. So I feel bad. I mean, I'm not telling anybody to retire. If, if he does brain scans and he doesn't have CTE and wants to keep going, like hopefully uh, I'm wrong and it is because it's just Rosenstrike and, and yeah. Gano that's knocking him out. Yeah, so. and I don't think it's – maybe he doesn't need to retire. Maybe he just needs to make adjustments of not keeping his head up and leaning back when he's getting pressed. That's for sure. You know, and, yeah. and his chance of getting knocked out are very slim. I mean, I mean, 155ers, 135ers, you have your chin up like that, leaning back while, while getting pressed. Yeah. Um, and you get hit on the tip of the chin like that or behind the ear is going to put you down. So Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to the co-main and main event. We're going to take a quick break and so we can dive a little bit deeper into these two. There's a lot of uh, storylines and narratives coming out of, of both of them with uh, Sean O'Malley's injury and uh, Daniel Cormier's eye poke or eye, I guess. So give us just a quick sec and then we'll dive a little bit deeper into these. So stay put. All right, welcome back. So before we dive into the co-main and main event, I'm just going to do a quick uh, predictions challenge recap. So, yeah, basically it's like we're just uh, running in place this week because both of us got a goose egg with the Jim Miller fight, and we both picked the Marab Duvalishvili fight, uh, correct uh, fighter and method of victory. Both got a goose egg on the JDS fight. Both got uh, Sean O'Malley fight wrong, which we'll talk about as well. And then we both picked Stipe uh, to win the fight by unanimous decision. So six points total for both of us this week. You ex- uh, didn't extend your lead. We put, like I said, we're just kind of running in place. So my uh, 119 to your 131. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. So real quick off the top, before I get 
before we go super deep into this Marlon Vera, Sean O'Malley situation, I just want to kind of get it off my chest. Not only, I mean, this isn't bravado, but I did want to switch to Marlon right before the fight. Granted, that doesn't make me look like a genius or anything because of the way the fight ended. But I just want to clear the air and say, I think this is a clean W for Marlon Vera. I think Cheeto landed um, a, a kick that began to exacerbate what, what would... Later, we'll, I'll kind of explain as a potentially pre-existing injury from Sean O'Malley. But I think he did land. There was some contact. There's a video, a few videos online at 254 in the first round. Lands a kick, and immediately afterwards is when you kind of start seeing the toes curl over and the lack of control of the leg and foot. Uh, and then um, shout-out to uh, Dave DeCourcy, actually. He let me know that this is a Liz Frank injury, which is the exact same injury um, that was reported by MMA Mania to be the exact same injury that he received in his Andre Sukum fight to his like foot and other parts of the ligaments and things of that nature so uh, you can look that up and as far as the details there but I, d- I do think that's kind of contradictory because pre-existing injury that's getting exacerbated and I'm also saying it's a clean victory for Marlon but ultimately on the on the books it's go- he goes out with a, a win a TKO loss by elbows from the guard which I, I think that Sean actually if you watch the video did go out for a moment so clean stoppage by Herb Dean but I just wanted to clear the air and think I think it's a clean uh, victory for Vera, although after the kick landed, which caused a condition which we, we know is uh, it's called foot drop or drop foot. Michael Chandler had it versus Brett Primus. T- uh, Henry Cejudo had it against his uh, fight with Demetrius Johnson, the second one. And both of those guys like continued to fight on. I'm no knock on Sean O'Malley, but it's a, it's a situation that occurs with the nerves, and I feel like that is what happened. And then Sean, uh, with the lack of control of the foot, ended up re-injuring that same area that he had the injury from before. That's kind of my rationale. But I just don't want to take anything away from Marlon Vera, although there will be an asterisk on this fight, I'm sure sure in this victory but uh again uh, i'm gonna have nate kind of give him uh, give his thoughts as well but if you haven't watched the fight in the first round sean o'malley uh, seemed to have an injury happening to his leg which ultimately led to him not being able to continue on the feet and then getting a uh, tko from the bottom so why don't you go ahead and give us your thoughts as well no you explained it pretty well can't take anything away from uh marlon vera uh in this fight because part of the fight game is throwing something technically proper and not hitting with your foot. And if it happens, it creates an injury, especially if you connect with someone's knee or connect with someone's shin. Um, you know, that's that's also part of the fight game is you can take yourself out just by throwing something improperly or um, getting it checked. That's Marlon said that he checked a couple of the earlier ones. Like I said, a bunch of videos circulating, one of which says uh, some of the checks earlier in the fight probably contributed to it, but it's very clear that his movement, Sean O'Malley's and his elusiveness, his normal um, ability to move laterally was, was, away. was fine up until after that moment, uh, two minutes, 54 seconds after that kick landed. So Yeah, so I mean... The nerve runs down the leg. We've you know, had it. It's going to go know? two ways. O'Malley's going to come back stronger. Um or he's going to go on a slump. Well, Dana in the, gonna... in the press conference was talking about you never know with these fighters who are injury prone. Dave DeCourcy also said that uh, Sean O'Malley's feet are like Dominic Cruz's knees, which mm-hmm. I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. But, I mean, there's all kinds of names going around. Sugarfoot, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sugar bones. Yeah, he's <laughs> sugar bones. You know? he's, hey, hey, he's going to have to come back. And, and you know, uh, overall, I'm bummed because of just I think it would have been a very exciting fight of to course. watch if it, if it continued. But... Obviously, I'm a big O'Malley fan because I think he's a sharp, crisp striker. Um, but you know, you know, props to Chico checking kicks, man, checking kicks and and just being a dog. Um, so 
hey, congrats to him, and I look forward to seeing Chico fight. Look forward to seeing Sean O'Malley's comeback and how he adjusts. Uh, you know, best of luck to, to Sean. I hope he makes adjustments, and I hope he heals up. I know he's had some injuries in the past, so, you know, congrats to Marlon Vera. Yeah, and again, is it going to be a kind of asterisk fight? Interesting, you know, storylines coming out of it. It unfortunately takes away from Marlon's uh, victory in terms of the narratives coming out of it. But I think that he did a phenomenal job. I felt felt like he was doing well and in control, and not getting lulled into the firefight that Sean had normally lures his opponents into early in in the fights. And so his his veteran savvy, I personally believe, would have. Uh, you know, would have withstand it in the end and ended up getting the victory. But to your point, we don't want to downplay what Sean's going through because, of course, he's the one that got injured and we want him to heal up. But the fans were the ones that, you know, really lost because of the potential for this to be uh, such a scrap and such an awesome fight for yeah, us to watch over absolutely. the course of hopefully three rounds. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, the last thing I'll say on this is, like you said, it happens. It's a part of the game, right? I contend this is what I like to call, like, the evading argument. Same thing with the Demetrius fight with versus Cejudo. Same thing with the Michael Chandler fight. That uh, even if you are having to evade someone else's strikes that are coming at you, then that's they're making you move. They're making you evade. So if you kind of stumble or put your foot in between the cage and the, and the fence or if you roll your ankle or something like that, granted, it's not the same as if they 100% inflicted all of that damage but um you know if they if they glancing blow you and you're trying to evade and you roll your ankle like they caused that in my mind so i stick behind that you know in any way shape or form that if you get injured because it's part of the game it's part of the fight game and you know we're trying to hurt each other out there that uh, marlon just happened to come out on the winning side of this particular contest and anybody who's talking shit on sean's uh, guard ability from the bottom when your leg and foot and ankle is messed up like that you can't close your guard you can't do a lot of the things that you can normally do off your back if you weren't injured so i'm not going to give him a lot of shit down there i'm i actually contend that he's probably a very good jiu-jitsu player and he was trying to isolate an arm for an arm bar so you know don't look too deep into that but again lastly sean um luke thomas i always kind of bring him up on the show he's got a very good video even changing his mind from what he originally saw in real time versus after review viewing some tape. He's very objective, kind of weighs all the different arguments and says there's still some unanswered questions, but he also thinks that Vera definitely landed in some capacity. So that's the way I'll leave it. Congratulations to Marlon Vera. Um, sorry again for Sean to have to go through this adversity, but to your point, that's what makes or breaks championship fighters. So we'll see if he's not so injury prone, if he can come back from that. He did cut a lot of weight and look really sucked out, and I wonder if that affected his ligaments and his joints and things like Possibly. that. Possibly. Maybe not rehydrating all the way. So there's a lot of questions, but... Yeah. My my opinion is that Sean knows he has a lot of hype behind him um, and that he's got a lot of eyes on him and he has this uh, uh, he has this what's the word I'm looking for mm. this stigma to uphold. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. And got a lot of pressure and from so, that, and that so hype. As soon as he got that injury, I think all of that confidence and all of that you know, energy towards having to win and, and have all that focus just kind of went out the window, shot his adrenaline and really made it hard for him to deal with that injury. And just and focus. I yeah. think it just ruined his mindset for that, that, that's that 30 seconds. And that can happen, especially when you already know this is the toughest fight of your career. Uh, a lot of people think that this is your toughest fight and you have a lot of eyes on you and you have a huge reputation to uphold. And, and any little thing that goes wrong could just be drastic. When you, when you put yourself in a position to where, uh, you need to be the best you can, which is all, almost all the time. But when you really can't afford to lose, especially when you're talking mad crap, you're posting mad memes, you got this huge stigma behind you, and the UFC is pumping you up 
I, I, I let's call it the Conor McGregor syndrome. Uh, I don't know. I just made that up. But you know, when well, you, you've seen it repeatedly over time with really know, high level athletes and celebrities who make it and make millions, and then they crash and then they burn. Yeah, because, yeah. Cause, so this is a uh, earlier stage of of that. Uh, yeah, and, trajectory. and the only difference is Conor didn't really get injured in his fights. He just got outworked or exposed on the ground. Well, shit, he tore his knee versus Max Holloway and continued to go on and win that yeah, fight. Yeah, so, so, you know, I think what happened is a big mental proponent to it is that Sean was like, crap, this is not good. Uh, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to be able to win this fight. Like, this is going to ruin my career or this is going to slow me down. And you think about all these things when you're fighting, especially if you're just sparring and you're sparring someone really good and you want to look good and everyone's watching and, and you have a reputation to hold as, like, the best in your gym or whatever, and you're going against a guy who's just as equal and you, like either get like a dead leg or you get like you like you like hurt your foot on someone's chin or or you, you get a good body shot and you're having a hard time like all these things play a huge factor in your mentality especially during the fight yeah like, you shouldn't be letting yourself get distracted by like what other people you know in your you career know, and the future and all that which stuff. is hard especially having the stigma that um of course that a, Sean lot of pressure. Does. So, a lot of pressure so as i think what you know my my opinion is that as soon as that happened it really caused a shift in mentality i mean he's got a great poker face don't get me wrong but i know exactly yeah. we a lot of us especially fighters uh know exactly how he's feeling what he's going through especially having all that hype behind you knowing that that you're potentially this is a huge chance that you're not going to make it through this fight especially with a dog like uh marlon vera because yeah. of this injury and he did say sean did that and i don't know where the, this interview came from but um I, I couldn't feel it it was like it wasn't there it was completely dumb. we could tell because he tried to go forward and he just rolled it yeah um michael chandler brett Primus. completely i mean dumb. credit to henry cejudo what a warrior he was because he had that i believe in the first round rolled it really bad and then continued to fight on and win a split decision over arguably the best flyweight of all time so yeah that, you know he tried but um for a little bit but then Marlon Vera just chopped that leg again and, and, and put him down you know especially if you can't feel it it's hard to balance on it yep. and you're trusting in your natural ability That's right. and your muscle memory to move on it as soon as it's kicked out from underneath you you got no balance now like your muscle memory goes out the window puts you on your butt and you then, go to step and then you just curl your toes over which you yeah. saw happen which is what I think he injured he actually broke Majority or whatever re-injured it yeah. yeah if not tore his ankle yeah but uh Anyways, we'll leave it at that, guys. I mean, again, there's lots of videos, like Dustin said, circulating what could have happened and and uh, and what did happen. And the hellish elbows that Vera did land before. He landed some yeah. gnarly elbows, and there was a split second, even during the replay that I saw on the live feed, um, where Sean O'Malley kind of went a little bit limp and then came back too, but he took another elbow after that. And, you know, I believe it was Herb Dean. Yeah, it was Herb Dean. Made a good stop. I mean, it's unfortunate... It's unfortunate because we've seen him in this position and, and get a win off his back. And, but, you know, Marlon Vera just did a great job jumping on him and, and throwing some hard shots. And, yep. and you know, the truth is with that level of experience that Marlon Vera has, I, I don't think Sean O'Malley would have been able to keep up. I think he just would have gotten ground and pounded. And, yeah, you can't and, close and, your guard. You can't it, break it, your posture. Or he would have just... Lot, he would have definitely lost a decision and just being on his back the whole time. And, oh, yeah. and with the, how the injury was, I mean, who knows? He could have overcame it and he could have gotten feeling back in his leg and been able to. But it looked pretty bad. He was in a lot of pain afterwards. So, yeah. you know, it is what it is. And like he's, like we said, uh, this will make or break him. Usually these are the kind of fights that really make a champion. You know, even, you know, McGregor, DC, they, all these guys said earlier, DC lost to Jones twice and still was able to become the two-time champ. Yeah. So, these these are this is part of the game, and it's better to lose this early in your career. Uh, the only thing that sucks about it is being an undefeated fighter and having this much hype behind you and losing because. Hey, but at least he kind of has this like asterisk. This around asterisk, it. Yeah. yeah, that it was an injury. It was an injury. Hopefully that 
you know, Marlon Barrow win another fight, Sean will win his next fight, and they'll rerun it in this division, and sure. then we'll really see how it should have went, and yeah. then we'll go from there. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because, like you said, O'Malley's uh, brand is, is is a lot around shit talking and like this this aura of invincibility and not getting caught. And he's too sharp for you. But the feet. universe catches you. Oh, yeah. You may not you you may do good for a while, but even with McGregor, the universe catches you. Uh, the so. last, yeah, the last thing I'll say, I also feel uh, kind of shitty for O'Malley and just us as fans because he's already had such a large amount of time off with the, you know, you saw the situation that was a contaminated uh, supplement and then he had that injury before the Liz Frank injury, which apparently is now returned. So, and who knows, like you said, what other damage is potentially there. So it's going to be a while for him to recover. And it, it's, it's just tough because with all that hype and all that momentum behind you, you definitely lose momentum sitting out. Granted, he's really good in the media and in keeping himself relevant, but it's it's definitely going to be a setback for him overall. Absolutely. <clears throat> but before we switch on to the really talk about the main event, I just wanted a little mini this segment rules just to kind of set the table a little bit for this uh, main event, the narrative and the controversy that came out of this one with regards to the eye poke. <clears throat> I'm not going to say that it didn't have an effect on the outcome of the fight. I consider, I think it did, as well as the uh, eye pokes in the second fight against Stipe and, and, and even in the first one. So a, a significant eye poke is definitely going to have an effect on the way the rest of the fight plays out. Um, it's just kind of like we were talking about with injuries, part of the game. And <clears throat> what I'll bring up with regards to the, the this segment rules or whatever is, <clears throat> in this case, Mark Goddard, Bless his soul. I think he's a relatively uh, top-level referee for the most part, but he missed that one. He did not see it in real time. <clears throat> so the reason this is relevant is because with the you, unified rules of mixed martial arts, which we've kind of talked about, how they're different in, under different commissions, in Vegas they actually have a hybrid portion of the rule that has uh, their own take on the down opponent rule, but one of the things that makes theirs unique is that you're allowed to use replay in real time without it actually causing the end of the fight. Most other commissions, if you're allowed to use replay, it's only after a fight in any sequence, like an illegal blow, or if you do actually use the replay, then the fight is over. In Vegas, you're actually allowed to use the replay and continue moving on with the fight. Now, that doesn't mean I think uh, Stipe did it intentionally and that she should have got a DQ loss, but I do feel like it was a it was a miss there because they had the opportunity to exercise that particular rule in Vegas with regards to the replay. And if you guys watch the broadcast, Daniel Cormier is straight up said, I can't see. So, I mean, people heard that. The commissions heard that. The potential ringside physicians heard that. And that seems to be the most frequently under-enforced, I guess, rule on the books is if fighter says they can't see, they're supposed to immediately stop the fight. So, obviously, you know, trilogy fight, heavyweight fight, main event, all these other things, um, they kind of look the other way because Danny would be pissed if they, if they stopped the fight. But it's just to point out the kind of black and white rule there that doesn't seem to really uh, they were kind of missed on in terms of the commission in this particular case. I just wanted to bring that up. And Dan, uh, Mark Goddard did put out a statement saying that he did officially miss it. He saw it on the replay. He feels terrible, but it is what it is in real time. If the ref can't see it, he can't call it. So that's the way it goes. And then uh, I'll turn it over to Nate. 115 strikes to 105. Stipe ends up getting it done. Why don't you give us your thoughts on the fight? Uh, and still. Yeah, without the eye poke, you know, that's a. I'll touch on that real quick. Is it's only it's a bummer. It's a bummer because this was, it's a bummer to know it's her last fight and it's for a title and it's and it's like the seal is huge legacy. It's the best one of the best fighters of all time and one of the goats in the heavyweight division. And not only is this your last fight, your last chance and to to cement your legacy, but you get eye poked 
and then you can't see the whole fight, and it, it really diminishes your performance and your ability to see the, that right hand of Sipe coming and, and your ability to adjust based on your depth perception. It's tough because yeah. cause now there's going to always be this lingering excuse like, man, if I didn't get my eye poke, I could have done it. Yeah, right? and there Maybe. was damage to that eye before the oh. eye poke, but, I mean, obviously For those sure. two things together are going to make it's it It's a bummer. Terrible. It's a bummer because after you lose, you're, you know, he's going to think of, Man, what if? And it sucks to have a what if. I, I'd rather sure. he'd. I guarantee you'd rather have it be like you know what? I just he was a better man, and have no excuse to why he lost. But now there's excuses, you know. Yeah. So there's going to be a part of him that's always going to want to come back. But that's fighting. There's never going to be a time where you're not going to get poked in the eye, kicked in the groin, or hit a toe on the knee, or or bend a finger in the like punch in or in the clinch or sure. or, or pull your muscle. It, it, it's part of the game, and it sucks. But um, it's never perfect. I mean, sometimes you have a fight where it's great, but when you're fighting a guy just as equal as you or and, and such a bad man in the division and when I mean bad I mean a, a, a badass man yeah um it, there's going to be you guys it's going to be a close battle and there's going to be some wounds unfortunately eye pokes are are in, in groin kicks are the two worst injuries you can sure. obtain you know and they it both they both kind of had a few groin kicks one in one they actually had one in one one groin kick per person and one eye poke, eye poke you know yeah. I, I think but be a replay I definitely agree that DC's eye poke was knuckle deep. He straight up said that. He said I his, saw it in his, the replay. It was yeah. deep, man. He said his finger was knuckle into my eye. The one thing I can say is his eye was open, but I don't know if it was working. <laughs> you yeah. know, his eye was slightly open, but um, well, he ended up getting a torn cornea, which is really bad. That He's going to have to get it uh, repaired. Stipe, as we talked about in last week's episode, Similar had injury. A, he had a torn retina, I believe. Ooh. But yes, yeah, bad bad injury either way. And uh, again, like there's no intent there. I don't believe. I no, feel it like happens. it's just the way it happens. And even DC, whatever your opinion about him in terms of eye poke. It's just part of his style. He's shorter. He's got short arms. He likes to do that hand play a lot. So it's a it's a product of his style and the gloves. So I don't think it's necessarily intentional or that Stipe's was in retaliation. But it was definitely a significant one, uh, probably the worst out of all of them. Yeah. Uh, credit to Stipe for dealing with his eye poke and, and finishing the fight in the mm-hmm. second one. But uh, ultimately, it's, it is a bummer. It does leave kind of a, a question mark on this fight, both taking away from Stipe's ability to feel like, you know, he, he can listen to everyone say, like, greatest everyone of all time with that question thing there and then like you said it's going to eat at dc and potentially you know make him want to come back for another yeah and dc already is an emotional man sure i mean he loves the sport he loves his reputation and that's a good thing to do to, to have pride in yourself and your reputation but sometimes emotions can get the better of you and um he's just uh you know you can tell that probably before fight or after fight he just he 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 needs to win he, you know he needs to win he and, said as much and and when he loses man it just it, I can see it in him it just hurts him he it, it almost puts him in tears every time so I know it's this is tough for him uh now regarding the fight my my views on the fight super close fight right um you know, DC had one one quick takedown. He said, "Get put your wrestling shoes on, Stepe." But there wasn't a lot of wrestling there, um, especially going up in the heavyweight division, going from light heavyweight to heavyweight. Even though the accolades of DC has wrestling, you didn't see him executed as much. You know, I think towards the first round, I think he felt really comfortable in his striking, so he just decided to strike. He did have one takedown, but Stepe was able to get up real quick. Stepe has great wrestling defense, and we've seen his wrestling against Nganu. He just you know, Stipe's got good wrestling himself. Uh, you know, and and Cormier being a light heavyweight, being used to wrestle at light heavyweight, you know, going up in heavyweight and wrestling a guy who's got great wrestling for a heavyweight, uh, in general having good accolades. Um, you know, DC had a hard time, you know. You, you know, Stipe looked strong. Even in the clinch exchanges, Stipe was the one being able to turn DC most of the time and put him against the cage. So a huge factor there is the strength and the uh, the timing and uh, the clinch work and the wrestling of Stipe. Uh, you know, DC, even 
during uh, half of the fight said, you know, his coaches were asking him to wrestle. And I was saying the same thing. Like, why isn't he setting up his wrestling a little more, engaging in the clinch? You know, he needs to wrestle close to distance. He needs to make this a, a dog fight and utilize his wrestling. You know, that's his best accolade. He's a great striker, too. But um, that's what I expected. And he was like, when there's an opportunity, he told his coach, I'll try if there's an opportunity. So that's already telling you that DC was already having a hard time trusting in his ability to take down Stipe. Um, that being said, uh, I think that was a huge part, you know, is uh, him not being able to utilize his wrestling. And, and, and Stipe's a great striker. Stipe's tough. Uh, we really got to see his toughness in the second fight. And in the third fight, Stipe was uh, just able to not only keep up slightly more, but land a few more shots uh, than uh, DC. He was able to have him against the cage a little bit more. He was able to control the fight a little bit more in certain areas to really put himself ahead in each round in the judges' eyes, I believe, and in the viewers' eyes. Uh, also, Stipe and then were able to keep up almost neck and neck. Obviously, Stipe was a little ahead in the striking department. Um, Stipe utilized some good kicks as well. Um, but the one thing, obviously, that I think shined the most in the fight is the second round knockdown. Uh, and we saw DC get up and sit in the chair, and, he, and DC didn't even know what happened to him. He looked wrecked. The fact that DC came back and still put on the performance he had after the eye poke yeah. was awesome. And after Amazing. That knockdown. Amazing. But um, like we said, similar situation leaning back, getting pressed by a heavyweight, leaning back against the cage, circling left. Stipe throws a, a good right hook, catches him, throws another right hook, catches him. <laughs> it was shades of the first fight. Uh, the finish in the first, or I'm sorry, the second fight. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, was able to kind of drop him and put him down, and I think that really put Stipe ahead on the card. So when you have a fight that's super, super close like that, uh, and you're already looking slightly ahead, uh, Stipe was in the striking department and in the in the strength department. Um, that takedown really, not only in the viewer's eyes but in the judge's eyes, really shines and, and kind of puts you ahead on who could possibly you're be the winner of this fight. You're looking like you're closer to finishing at one point. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So when it comes down to a fight that close, what's going to determine it is usually control, uh, ring control, significant strikes. In this case, they were both pretty significant. Uh, Cormier had some good uh, counter right hands too. Um, but what really I think helped made this fight a little more. Uh, shine in Stipe's view is the knockdown. So, I mean, it was close, but the knockdown and the fact that Stipe was e able to put out a little more. And it wasn't that just Stipe was able to put out a little more. Uh, it was able the fact that he was put, able to put out a little more and have control in certain areas, like against the fence yeah. and, and things like that. So Stipe did exactly what he needed to do in each round to kind of just make it, make it Make him finish strong, sure. especially in the viewers' eyes and the judges' eyes. I think Stipe he won in all the different spots, right? And I yeah. think uh, we, it went exactly like we were talking about um, last week in terms of it went to a decision. They had a lot of research on each other, being that they'd fought twice before. Yeah, we and, knew it was going to be close, and they both made uh, adequate adjustments from both of the previous fights, so that ended up making it go all the way, yeah. all five I did rounds. I did expect St uh, uh, Cormier to wrestle more. Yeah, I know his ability. I know he's a savage. So I think uh, I think Stipe's like anti wrestling, and and to your point, I think. It was interesting because there was a lot of narratives going into this fight about heavyweight title fight being in the smaller cage. And surprisingly, the other person, a lot of people talked about the small cage benefiting DC and ended up benefiting Stipe to the point where he uh, DC is better in space when he can jerk you around one way and then change directions and or lift you up, things like that. Well, um, that underhook on the right side left wrist control up against the fence that Stipe had really nullified a lot of DC's abilities to wrestle. Um, and he DC even said as much in the post-fight interview about uh, Stipe having double underhooks. Double underhooks, yep. And, and he just, didn't have those in the first two fights. Yeah. That adjustment was a big adjustment. So it definitely su it surprised DC, as he said, and it just nullified a lot of the ability for DC to utilize his wrestling. So it worked out in Stipe's favor in those 
maybe points in the fight. I don't want to say he was necessarily resting, but he was slowing the fight down, um, winning in all the different spots. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So to end on this fight, I want you guys to still my view on what is my view on Daniel Cormier and what do I think other people's view should be on DC. And this is my opinion, just my opinion, is I think he is one of the greatest of all times. Uh, you He's guys, only one of four people to be a double champ. Exactly. Not only is he a double champ, but... Heavyweight Grand Prix champion. You know, what is he like? Strike Force. Something in three. He's only lost three times. Two of those were to Jones. Exactly. Uh, now, obviously, four, two to Stipe. But, I mean, to the two baddest men on the planet. But to have the accolades to go from light heavyweight... Uh, well, it started at heavyweight, right? And was able to be undefeated at heavyweight, go to light heavyweight, become the light heavyweight champion, defend it numerous, numerous times, have dominating performances, uh, lose to Jones. Jones pops, regain, wins that title back, stays the champion. Then he goes and fights at the heavyweight division, was able to finish Stipe in a very quick fashion. Um, when it comes to accolades, and I look at Stipe, and um, don't get me wrong, Stipe has accolades too, but when it comes to accomplishments and, and, and awards in the UFC, DC's ahead of Stipe when it comes to being able to obtain the light heavyweight title and heavyweight title and have the performance over the years that he's had. Uh, so being a double champ is a huge accomplishment, especially when you go up in weight and face a bigger man. Um, but now when it comes to who's the better heavyweight, we see that it is Stipe Miocic. It's so funny with the semantics, and I wanted to point that out to people because he just said he's one of the greatest of all times, right? The narrative that you kept hearing from the USC uh, was the, you know, greatest heavyweight of all time and then they wanted obviously to blanket all of MMA not just UFC heavyweights right um, but it's just funny the slight changes of wording there really make a difference in terms of your argument because granted yes. when you're taking into consideration his double champ status and the success he had at light heavyweight of course that you can't really take that into consideration when you're referring to how good of a heavyweight is he overall right you shouldn't necessarily you should separate those things so to your point you got to give Stipe all the credit we're not trying to take away from Stipe no. but in terms of overall career accomplishments maybe in terms of maybe like a, um, a a Hall of Fame resume, DC has more accolades. But in terms of the heavyweight greatest the, the heavyweight UFC division, champion, for sure. Steve Bay's got the most def- uh, defenses. title defenses. You know what I mean? Like, it's not questionable, but it just depends kind of on what, what we're talking about. Exactly. And the reason why I bring up this point is because I know DC's probably not going to listen to this, at least right now, until our following gets dramatically larger. But a lot of fans write people off and they don't, don't understand. But yeah. he, he, him, and I want him to understand that sometimes, you know, maybe, I know this is a real touching side of me, but I want you to know, DC, that you're one of the best fighters in history. Of course. Without a doubt. Don't take that away from you, man. Um, and don't think because of this loss that you're not one of the GOATs. Like, yeah. you are one of the GOATs. You are one of the greatest of all times, not only in the light heavyweight division, but in the UFC to win two titles, one of four men to do so. Or, or four fighters. I know we got Amanda Nunes as well. But... Congratulations, dude, on a great career, man. Yeah. Uh, an amazing career, dude. Just a dominating performance. And we just sincerely hope that he doesn't have any long-term eyesight damage because, like yeah, you said, last fight goes gets poked, goes away from the sport with uh, an injury that, you know, he, he could have sustained at any point in any fight throughout his entire career, and then he gets it on the last fight. That would kind of rub salt in the wound a little bit. But we wish the best for you, DC. We wish the best in terms of your recovery uh, on your eyesight and, you know, Again, to, to Nate's point, like, you know, hang your head high. You definitely have accomplished more than many, many others in, in the sport. And, uh, yeah, you've earned every one of ours respect. Yeah, which so. already means you're one of the greatest of all time. That's what it means. It, I mean, you don't have to be the greatest of all time because there's going to be guys that come and go that are always going to be setting records. Just now, Jim Miller. Jim Miller just passed... 
Donald Cerrone for the most fights, you know, and now he's setting records, right? So there's always going to be records. And who thought that would have happened? You know, Cerrone's, that's a lot of fights, man. So, um, but congratulations on an amazing career. Stipe, congratulations. We both picked you. We both got the decision right. We just, you know, you one the greatest heavyweight of all time, without a doubt. Yeah, congratulations on cementing himself as one of the greatest uh, heavyweights of all time in all of MMA and definitely the greatest UFC heavyweight champion with the most title defenses that there's been uh, to date. So, again, congrats to both fighters. It was an amazing fight to watch. It was really interesting with uh, without the crowd and things like that. So um, I don't think Joe Rogan had uh, called a fight yet without a crowd. So I don't. He, there was times where he was, like, talking, and I was like, they could for sure hear him. So <laughs> there was some funny conversation going on during the um, right when uh, Sean O'Malley stumbled for the first time. I just want to point this out because it was funny, but John Anik was talking about how they measure leg length, right? And I guess Sean O'Malley and Marlon Vera both had a longer uh, from... Super long legs. Well, from, uh, what was it, from waist to tip of the toes longer than uh, heavyweight champion Stipe Miocic and it was like a, a little bit of a pause and then Joe Rogan's like, what? How's that possible? <laughs> like, it was just, it's pretty funny. And I remember he was like, I don't know, but I, th- I think that's right. And Joe's like, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, he said, no, he said he's uh, got a lot of torso, I guess, or something like that. <laughs> and to me, I was like, no, it's a lot of legs and not a lot of torso. Well, he's talking about Stipe must have a lot of torso. Torso, yeah. yeah. It was just funny. Joe and uh, Dominic Cruz. But when you look Cruz, at him proportionally, you wouldn't think so. No, he looks, pre- he looks pretty even, but we, I'm sure, like like Anderson Silva, we've met him in person on TV. I, don't, I didn't expect him to be that tall, but he looks like an NBA player. He's oh, huge. He's, he's definitely big uh, for 185 for sure. He's, he's so spotted 205 before, but yeah, it's, it's just interesting because, uh, you know, they were talking. Another thing with the commentary, Joe Rogan and Dominic Cruz were kind of going back and forth a little bit on the Peruvian necktie or arm and guillotine choke and all these things like that. I just felt like there was a lot of interesting, subtle. Um, narratives that you could pay attention to with regards to the commentary uh, last night so i hope you guys enjoyed those fights i hope you guys enjoyed us breaking them down uh, so now that that's done before we move on to breaking down and giving our picks for uh, ufc fight night edgar versus munoz this is the time that everyone has been uh, waiting for the verdum mass giveaway results uh, it's the time has come we're gonna grab a hat here we got all the names in the hat already let's put it up against the mic here so we can hear it let's shuffle it around all right yeah Pick one. Okay. Let's see. You guys ready? Who is the winner? I don't have a drum roll sound drop, so. Da, 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 da. All right. Roll. So my handwriting is terrible. I can barely read my own handwriting, but it is PV, which means polite vulture. Congratulations. You polite are the winner vulture. of the Verdum Mask giveaway. Sick. Thank you guys so much, everyone Sick. that entered, everyone that uh, engaged me on Twitter. And uh, appreciate you guys. And don't worry, there's going to be a lot more giveaways to come. Actually, I hate to tell you if you are in the United States, but the next giveaway that I'm going to do is going to be for international listeners only because everyone that's won any giveaway so far in the show is all been local or within you know the united states so i want to give a little bit of love to our international listeners we'll think up something the next week or two and we'll announce how you can enter for that um but congratulations to polite vulture you're the man appreciate you stoked you're the one that got it because you got those animations and i know you've been going through some tough times uh, recently with regards to that so hopefully this will boost your spirits and keep you uh, keep you going because you're very very talented and uh yeah thanks to you thanks to everyone else who entered and keep listening because there'll be more giveaways to come so give us one sec we're going to take a quick break and come back and blaze through the card because there's not a lot of high names on it but dive into a couple of the interesting fights on the ufc fight night versus edgar i'm sorry edgar versus munoz so stay put 
All right, real quick, polite vulture. Sorry about this. Dustin D U S T I N underscore R dot L O V E at Yahoo dot com. Send me your information as far as how to ship out the the mask so I can get it to you as soon as possible. Sorry, I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, uh, Edgar versus Munoz, guys. Uh, interested to see Frankie Edgar come back. This is a bantamweight fight, one thirty five for Frankie Edgar. Um, there's only a few fights on this card that, to me, like are names of note. Obviously, sure that doesn't mean there's not going to be exciting fights, but we're uh, we're gonna. Just just run through the bottom part of the card real quick and list the fights as I like to do. Tamir Valiev taking on Mark Stregel. Uh, Carlton Minus taking on Matthew Semmelsberger. Hey, that's not bad. Ike Villanueva, Jorge Gonzalez. That one's probably going to end uh, inside the distance. Dwight Grant versus Jared Gooden, not Jared Gordon. And then Jeff Gordon! Austin Hubbard. Uh, make sure to, this guy's had a lot of, a lot of uh, good fights in the UFC. Um, Basically, just keep an eye on this guy. This is a guy that had compartment syndrome in his leg, which is terrible. If you go look it up online, sorry, he won't have dinner that night. But this guy's a tough bastard. Had a tough debut and has done well ever since, so I'm keeping my eye on him. Austin Hubbard taking on uh, Joel Selecki. Joe Selecki, rather. And then uh, the feature prelim is Amanda Lemos versus Mizuki Inoue. Now, How do you say that? Inoue? Inoue. Is it, is it an Innie or an Audi? Uh, I don't know. All right, and then opening up the main card, Daniel Rodriguez taking on Takashi Sato. That was going to be exciting, probably one of the ones we're going to pick. Mario, Maria Agapova taking on Shanna Dobson. And then Marcin Pracino, Pracino versus Mike Rodriguez. And then the co-main is another one I'm excited for, Ovin St. Preux taking on uh, Alonzo Menafield. And then, again, Frankie Edgar, Pedro Munoz in the main event. So, which one do you want to do, if any, on the prelims? Let's take a look real quick again, if any of them. Notes. We'll do the Austin Hubbard one. Okay, perfect. So, okay. let's take a look at this one. Okay. So, Austin Hubbard versus Joe Selecki. Uh, Austin Hubbard's two losses, um, and his two losses in his uh, UFC career, uh, they have been to unanimous, this, unanimous, unanimous decisions, uh, and those were both from good wrestlers, I mean, those fights both ended with him getting taken down about three or four times and just being uh, controlled most of the fight. Uh, Joe Selecki has got great grappling, um, likes to control the fight, uh, especially on the ground. Um, his win against Wyman was pretty dominant fashion. Uh, four takedowns and six passes and outstruck him 40 to like 10. 56 to 10, yeah. Oh, yeah, some some crazy like yeah. that. So, you know... Um, I feel like Austin Hubbard's going to actually, unless he's made some adjustments to his wrestling, I feel like Joel Selecki's going to stick to the same game plan, uh, give Austin Hubbard a hard time. I don't see a finish here, so I'm going to say Joel Selecki unanimous decision. I could, especially yeah. looking on paper, I could see, like, you know, it just kind of depends on uh, the measuring stick, what kind of measuring stick is Matt Wyman in terms of his UFC experience. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go against you on this one just because I know that um, Hubbard's fight against Ramos and then Mark Madsen like the two people he said that he lost to uh, are like heavy grapplers, heavy wrestlers but he was in those fights, he was take, uh, defending the takedowns a lot he was, he was you know, not getting finished, I don't know, I just feel like especially with this guy Madsen that just entered the UFC is Olympic level wrestling and uh, although Hubbard did lose that fight he was definitely defending well and uh, against the fight against Roshkoff who was supposed to also be a very good wrestler Also, although if you guys remember with him he's the one that had that uh, quit on the stool between second and third round in his debut um what was it uh martin uh drysdale his coach and him caught a lot of flack for the way that that 
was caught on camera and he just kind of quit. The UFC ended up actually recently cutting him. So uh, it goes to show you how much they don't want to be associated with someone like that, especially with their debuter uh, quitting on his stool. But point being is that he was uh, very highly uh, touted in terms of his wrestling and grappling capability. Um, obviously, a lot of mental things, probably adrenaline dumps and things affected it. But overall, Austin Hubbard did what he had to do in terms of um, defending those wrestling chops and ended up uh, putting away Max. So um, my guess is that my assessment is that the grapplers that have beaten Hubbard in the past are better grapplers than Selecki, but I could be wrong in this case, but I'm going to go with Austin Hubbard and I'll go with the decision as well. Okay. I'll say unanimous. So awesome. Yeah. All right. So the next fight that we're going to break down guys is on the main card and that's going to be, um, let's see, we only have, I want to do at least four. Let's go. Daniel Rodriguez versus Takashi Sato. All right, Daniel Rodriguez versus Takashi Soto. Daniel Rodriguez is 12 and 1. Takashi Sato, or yeah, Sato, I'll say Sato, is 16 and 3. Um, so Daniel Rodriguez on paper is the much more active striker, um, but he absorbs also a lot of strikes as well uh, compared to, so 8.60 for strikes landed per minute compared to Takashi Sato's 3.94. Uh, accuracy for both of them is pretty similar in the 40 percentage. Uh, area, but strikes absorbed is about 6.81. So Daniel, for as much as he throws, almost receives the same amount back. Uh, Takashi Soto also receives actually more than what he throws. So, um, so now I have to look based on their paper performance. I have to go down and look at the takedowns. Like, okay, so if Takashi Soto is feeling overwhelmed with striking, can he take him down? Well, here, um, the takedown is is actually the average is 1.94 for Rodriguez and Sato is only 0.79. So. Uh, Rodriguez is a little better on paper when it comes to uh, striking output and takedowns. Um, and when it comes down to accuracy, he's 80%. Uh, but the takedown defense of Sato is 80%. So this is actually a really pretty good, well-matched fight uh, in, in all areas. Uh, but Sato is the underdog. And the last few fights uh, that Sato has won, he's um, knocking people out, and it's in the first round. So this guy's got some some power, man. Um, and he absorbs a little less per minute. The thing is... If Rodriguez throws throws as many strikes as he does, can he take the punches in the output? Uh, can he can he take the punch of Sato? Can Sato, you know Sato might have the uh, ability to change the fight real quick. So Sato isn't underdog, but it's such a close fight. I'm gonna have to use this fight as one of my underdog picks. I'm gonna say Sato second round TKO. Yeah, I'm struggling with this because I feel like um, I mean. Danny Rodriguez ended up beating D-Rod, ended up beating uh, one of my favorite fighters, Tim Means, I believe, in his UFC debut. And he's a good friend of Joe Schilling's, and he's, so his striking, although he hasn't utilized it a lot, in his, I mean, he has, but he got a submission win over Tim Means. Um, and then the last guy he fought was, um, you know, a last-minute replacement during the COVID times. Both these guys have competed uh, recently with uh, Danny Rodriguez competing in May on the Burns-Woodley card, and then uh, Sato competing in June. So they both competed under the COVID era with no fans and so I don't think that's going to come into play too much either and they're relatively similar in terms of their height and reach. Um, I think you're right though that at least from what we've seen Sato's got the uh, advantage in the in the power department and uh, it's tough because we only saw 48 seconds of him in his last fight. Mm-hmm. Is You can't learn a lot from that you know and you don't. Other than that he's, he can finish you in the first round no problem. Yeah <laughs> so well he can finish that opponent. That right? opponent. So, Absolutely. On paper too Daniel Rodriguez just looks like he's going to be the better fighter and slightly ahead in, in most areas. It, on paper, it looks like his output is going to be a little too much for Takashi to handle. The one thing but, that I, that scares me, because I've watched Dan, all of Daniel Rodriguez's fights in the UFC, at least, the last, I think, three or four that he's had, 
and he does get hit to that stats point six point eight one per fifteen minutes. Like he does take or per minute rather. Holy crap! So he does take strikes, and then we're talking about this potential for knockout power of Sato. So it makes makes me nervous, and I do have the the right to reserve the right to switch my pickup at, uh, at fight night. But for now, I'm going to go Daniel Rodriguez, and I'm going to go by a decision. All right, I think that's a great unanimous pick. decision. Yeah, hopefully I get my underdog points. Yeah. I would probably do the same though if it came down to it. But you know, I like those underdog points. So, and we should highlight some un you know no name people to give them some shine. But it's already been a little bit longer episode, guys. So just make sure not to miss out on this card, uh, Maria. Agapova has done well in her short-lived UFC career so far. Shanna Dobson as well is exciting in her UFC, even though she's a three and four fighter, but she goes out there and goes for it. So make sure not to miss that fight. And then Marcin Prachnio. Prachnio. I'm going to stick with that. Marcin Prachnio, Mike Rodriguez. I'm sure this fight, it's a light heavyweight fight, so I'm sure this is going to be a hell of a fight. So don't go to the the kitchen and and think these fights aren't worth watching, but we're going to skip over them for now in terms of the predictions challenge. So sorry about that, but that brings us to the co-main event. Ovin St. Peru taking on Alonzo Menefield. All right, Alonzo Menefield. Ovin St. Peru. Um, St. Peru's last performance just looked really sluggish to me. Looked heavy. Got tired. I don't know if St. Peru is, is... He's not like it early on in his career. He's just not fighting the same. I don't know if, if his conditioning's there, especially with the whole COVID situation. Hopefully he made those adjustments. Obviously he's getting back into it quick, so maybe he made those adjustments and knows what he needs to do. He's a veteran, so I'm sure he's adjusted in the cardio department yeah and one thing of note which i kind of forgot when we were talking off air is that he went up to heavyweight for his last fight for the first time he's normally a light heavyweight and and this fight is at light heavyweight so he is at least gonna have to do something to get some of those pounds off yeah it might be oh man that changes my whole outlook right oh but does he just water cut or does he actually hit the road and do the the miles to to cut the weight you know which will ultimately help his cardio as well yeah, you know, I'm still going to stick with my pick. I feel like Alonzo Menefield, just a uh, younger fighter, fresher, uh, only 9-1. and one. Uh, I feel like he's going to be a healthier, faster opponent. I feel like he's going to be able to last and endure a little longer. I think his endurance will be a little better. Uh, I have to base it off his last performance. Even though I was at heavyweight um, and on paper, I'm going to have to go with Alonzo Menefield. Um, but since OSP is a veteran fighter, um, the only way I see going is OSP taking him down, submitting him. Um, but I mean, again, at light heavyweight, there's a potential for a knockout in either direction. But I'm gonna say Alonzo Menafield. Um, I I think uh, OSP is gonna you know grapple a little bit, try to get him against the cage, smother him. So I I don't think there's gonna be a lot of room for a knockout. Uh, but I think Alonzo Menafield is gonna be able to output, uh, outstrike and just do a little more work. Uh. This is just based on OSP's last performance. Even though it's at heavyweight, it's hard for me. No, Uh, but to your point, like OSP is is one of those fighters, even at light heavyweight, that seems to have lost a couple split decisions here and there because of his lack of output, like you were saying. So that last point that you made is like do more work by Alonzo Menafield. He kind of looked like he gassed a little bit in his fight too, but against Devin Clark. It was a high-paced fight. High-paced, crazy high-paced fight. And, uh, you know, he's 
been competing at 205 and didn't have this recent uh, venture up to heavyweight and kind of quote unquote let himself go potentially. So mm-hmm. it, the the question marks around Ovin St. Pru and whether or not you know he's made those adjustments uh, to to his cardio and to you know he's he tends to be a little bit less active. So that's definitely going to be the complete opposite pace of fight that uh, Alonzo Menafield recently had with Devin Clark, who was just balls to the wall the entire time. Yeah. So it's going to probably give him those spots and those moments to kind of you know take breaks, not get uh, too overwhelmed in terms of his gas tank and his motor running too high and then potentially land those I mean this guy throws Mack trucks with each hand Alonzo Menafield is very strong and very big for the division um I, I don't know, man. Too many X factors on both sides because Alonzo Menafield, to your point, nine and one in his entire MMA career, has only had a few fights in the UFC. Um, I feel like if St. Brew was able to make the proper adjustments to his cardio, it's a very similar fight to me that the JDS Rosenstruck was in terms of Ovid St. Brew needs to do stay on the outside, make sure to touch him here and there, not exchanging those heavy, heavy shots that Alonzo Menafield is eventually going to throw. And then, like to your point, all the way out or all the way in, try to maybe push him up against the cage, mm-hmm. tire out those big, heavy arms. And maybe take him to the ground and get maybe one of those signature uh, St. Prue Von Flew chokes. Um, so I'm going to go against you just and go with the veteran experience on this one. But it I might bite me in the ass, but I'm going to try to get some extra points by going for not just a decision here either. So I'm going to go third round submission over St. Prue. Okay. Well, I'm going to go, because <laughs> I didn't pick yet, uh, Alonzo Menafield decision. Okay. You didn't pick? No, yes, I, got ahead I of was close, and then you like jumped in. I got ahead of myself there. You cut me off. <laughs> All right, guys, so that brings us to the main event. Yes, the last fight we're talking about is the co-main event, oh, obviously, so make sure you guys don't miss it. OSP versus Alonzo Menafield, Omen St. Peru. Uh, but this takes us to the main event. Frankie Edber, Edber, <laughs> Frankie Edgar versus Munoz, Pedro Munoz. So let's uh, get to it. All right, so Frankie Edgar. Former champion, fought at lightweight, went down to featherweight, fought some two bad dudes at featherweight, including Ortega and Holloway and uh, Jung. Um, so, man, the experience when it comes to Edgar is, man, he's fought the best of the best, man, and former champion, dude. Uh, and when you look at Munoz, his, his, his two best, I would say, hardest opponents. Well, Dotson is one of them, as one of them, but went over Garbrandt, knockout, and a loss, a, a close decision loss against Sterling. Um, has wins over Caraway and Johns as well, but when you when you look at it here on uh, on paper, the veteran uh, accolades, just the the people that Edgar's face is out, a crazy amount of talent. So this is a a tough fight to pick. The thing is, he's going down to bantamweight. How is that going to affect how he performs? Um, is the power going to translate? Is he going to be stronger? Is he going to be weaker? Is he still going to have the energy and gas tank to wrestle? And 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 have will he have the speed advantage? Because usually, being a smaller lightweight or featherweight, he he still had great speed, especially for being a smaller man. He had always had a little bit of a speed advantage. The only di- problem with uh, Edgar had in other divisions is his is his his range, or his his length, you know, his uh, reach, uh, getting in and out. You know, that's hard, especially on opponents like Ortega and Holloway who who are great at range. Um, but, man, this is a tough fight for me to pick, Dustin. I know. Uh, it's super tough. It's because there's so many questions around Frankie Edgar's, uh, you know, chin. Is he over the hill? Is he washed? Is, you this, know? is this a desperate ploy to go down to 135? Or do you think, you know, he feels, like, really confident that he can have success down there? There's always talks about him being small for lightweight, being the former lightweight champion, uh, you know, not necessarily having the success he wanted at featherweight, even yeah. though he was up with the top contenders, like you said. And then now is this reaching? Are we going to 35 just to, to see? Uh, I don't know. I 
I have a tendency to believe that, like what we saw with Jose Aldo, that if, if they really dedicate themselves and they get themselves down there, that they feel lighter, faster, stronger than they've ever felt before because it requires a lot more discipline probably to even make the weight, which could translate into good things, that discipline, I mean, in camp. But it's an X factor. We've never seen him down there before, and he's, you know, had a questionable chin in, in some of his more recent fights. Frankie, had, I'm sorry, Ortega was the first person to actually knock him out. Um, so yeah, there's just so many X X's and questions are surrounding it that the that experience quotient that you're talking about would would normally just say, okay, definitely, I feel like Frankie Edler's got the got the experience and the and the well-roundedness to be able to beat Pedro Munoz. Granted, he's a great fighter in and of himself, uh, but yeah, the the questions around it make it difficult, man. Yeah. This is tough, but he is an underdog, not a huge underdog, but a slight underdog. Um, And I think that I could definitely use more points, even though I'm winning. Uh, And this is a great (laughs) fight to pick. I'm going to pick Frankie Edgar. Um, I'm going to say decision, though. Unanimous decision. Um, Either that or split. It depends. It depends how he performs. If it's close, it could be split. And we've seen a lot of these fights where, like, Aldo or Barboza, they go down in weight, and they look good. We think they win. They just inch by, but they're so far in the career that I feel like just the universe tends to go the other way for the other younger, fresher opponent. It's kind of like sometimes I'm like, man, maybe I thought they won, but the UFC is just like, I don't want to waste time promoting them anymore. Like, this guy's more promotable. It's a weird scenario because I've seen both of them cut down in weight, and and I thought Aldo won against... uh, Marais. Uh, Marais, and then I thought Barboza killed it, and it's just like, oh, man. But I'm going to say that the universe works in Frankie Edgar's favor. Um, I'm going to say that, you know, just based on experience alone, I think that Pedro Munoz is, just hasn't faced the same caliber, and I think that I think Edgar's going to still abandon weight. I, who knows if his – like you said, the question is his chin, and we know that Pedro Munoz – was able to knock out Cody Garbrandt and handle that power just fine. So we know that this that Pedro can can put you down, especially at bantamweight, which is a, a rare not I wouldn't say a rarity, but it's a lightweight class. You don't see a lot of finishes there. You see a lot of decisions. Um, so you know there's a lot of things in the air, hmm. but I'm gonna say Frankie Edgar wins by uh, unanimous decision. Um, and I think he's going to win because he's just going to, I think he's going to utilize his wrestling just and mix, it up, mix yeah. it up a little bit better. Um, yeah. If he doesn't utilize his wrestling and tries to strike with Munoz, I think that it's probably going to go the other way slightly. Um, so again, that there's so many things that come into factor. And when I say that, guys, when you cut weight from a different weight class, people think that power translates, but you have to understand that it takes more energy. You have to cut more. You lose a lot. If you don't diet right, you lose a lot of nutritional value. Uh, You lose a lot of strength. Uh, You look lean. You look shredded. But sometimes you lose a lot of those vital nutrients and, and certain things that you need. And if you don't do things right to maintain that strength or you lose a lot of muscle mass. And so you lose a lot of strength. You may gain speed. And not only that, but when you lose a lot of muscle mass or if you're dehydrated or the weight cut's not as good as it seems going down to a lighter weight class, not a lot of things translate and you get tired quicker. Yeah. Um, so it really depends. I mean, Fra- Frankie Edgar being a wrestler, probably like wrestlers in general know how to cut weight very well and very aggressively. And especially with uh, technology, not technology, but with the uh, education portion of nut- nutrition today and, and the type of nutritionists that work with athletes, I'm sure this wouldn't be much of a problem, especially since we saw the changes that Aldo made and, and other fighters have made. Um, I'm hoping that this isn't one of those runs where Frankie Edgar goes down 
this is what I think. The truth is, do I think Frank Edgar's going to go down and make his way to the title? I, I honestly don't think so. But do I think that he's going to make it down and have a couple of good last performances? Yes. Um, that's what I hope. I mean, obviously, I would hope that he would win another title. That'd be great. Two-division champion, right? Especially being this, this Late later career, on in his yeah. career. That'd be phenomenal. Yeah. But, uh, I, you know, why not go? This is a great another card to pick underdog cards. I'm having a lot of fun picking underdogs, getting, getting points. So I'm going to say... Uh, decision, unanimous decision, based on just mixing up using his wrestling and based on his experience, I feel like he's going to have a little bit more tools and a little bit more uh, of an, I wouldn't say an IQ, but I think he's going to have a little more, he has a lot more experience on adjustments and things that he could do to uh, put this fight into uh, making it a win in his advantage. So I'm going to say, Frank Edgar, unanimous decision. Yeah, man, I'm listening to you here and I'm struggling because I, I kind of want, like, for instance, of the show, just to make it fun, I don't want to just agree with you on every pick, right? Uh, but for, as far as points, I am behind. So, I mean, if I just want to trail you and say the exact same thing here, then at least I don't get, I don't lose anything, right? Um, yeah. and, and I think everything that you said, like, the one thing that's kind of making me think that all those things that you just mentioned could come to fruition and Frankie Edgar could uh, make sure, you know, execute a great performance down here at his Bantamweight debut is that it normally would require a lot of extra discipline, a lot of extra miles on the road and things like that to potentially, as you said, do it right and get down to, to a, a close uh, close weight to your desired weight before you actually start the water cutting. And um, I just don't know. My, my other greasy theory is that he's with Mark Henry and those guys out there, Barboza, Mirage, these guys are notorious for being really big and able to cut a lot of weight. So um, they're doing it more of like the Abilene in a bath and saunas and, and water cutting. And uh, that's only going to make your chin more brittle. That's only going to, like you said, potentially deplete yourself and not be able to go at 100% for all three rounds. So it's all up to whether or not he's doing the extra discipline, eating better, uh, getting all those extra nutrients that, that gives them energy and, and uh, sustainability as well as doing the extra road work and getting leaned out and cut, uh, losing weight rather than cutting weight, you know. So it's just it's interesting, and, and it because I don't know the answer to, those, to all those questions, it makes me nervous. I really think – oh, there's Aspen. I really think that um, if Frankie's able to execute and mix it up, like you said, mix up all his different martial arts, then he's going to be at least threatening the takedown enough to mix it up to be able to maybe get off on the feet, utilize his good boxing and his speed. Uh, but kind of similar to Dotson, he does have a tendency to be a little outside of range with his combinations, and he kind of throws similar combinations over and over again. So – this is one of those fights that I'm going to have to see how that first lockup goes. When they lock up horns, is he able to, is he the bigger, stronger fighter coming down from the higher weight class? And is he able to out-wrestle, utilize the strength, and get Pedro Munoz down? So if he's got that ace in his back pocket, and it, it, like you said earlier with another fighter, if they're not really liking the exchanges on the feet, do they have the ability to get out of that and take it to the ground, right? So if he's able to do that, then I think 100% he grinds out a decision. Um so I got to be safe with you. Don't wouldn't surprise me at all if none of those things, if he doesn't look like the Frankie Edgar that we, you know, have come to love and expect and hope. And it's a little obvious that he's, he's definitely past his prime and, and this is a, a more diminished version. And then it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever that Pedro Munoz comes out with the victory. But uh, to play it safe and to, like you said, kind of hope to see him have success down at this new weight class, I'm going to go Frankie Edgar also by unanimous decision. You're playing, that's playing it safe? Hell yeah, I'm playing it safe. I, I got uh, some uh, ground to catch up. Playing it, yeah, but if it, you put, I'm gonna still have three points. That's what gambling is. I don't. I'm not going against you the whole night, but this yeah. one I'm playing it safe. All right. Yeah. Well. <laughs> all right. It's, a, it's always fun. All right. So I mean, he's still the underdog, so I still get points. So you know what? I'll change it up a little bit. 
to to get you a little maybe it possibly ahead. You, you said decision. You said, no, you said decision, right? Yeah. I'm gonna say third round submission by Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar, like head and arm choke, something like like uh, the won't back down, Chris Weidman style. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of fun. Thank you, Nate, every single week for digging in and helping me recap yeah. the fights for the weekend. Absolutely. Predictions challenge. I'm, uh, you're trying to maybe help me out or get more points. I don't know. but and know. This could go in my favor, too. If he gets it, I get way more points than you. But I want to make it different because like, it's like you get the same as me. And then it's just going to kind of keep it even. And this this way, either I get a big jump on you or you get to catch up. So we'll see. We'll see. But uh, don't give me too much help because I'm definitely going to be gloating and jumping on the table and being all loud and proud if I end up, you know, uh, catching gain, up, gaining a lead on you again. I had a lead for like four weeks. You had weeks. like 20 point lead. Too. It's, been like, it's been like 40 plus, 44 plus weeks. I told like you that. guys at the beginning of this uh, of these segments, like, hey, don't count me out, man. Only, I, I'm getting the system down, man. I'm, I'm only getting better as the days go by. We both are only getting better at reading these guys. So, yeah. you know, I well, got to more fights, The more fights and fighters that we have that are lesser known, I feel like you do a pretty good job at looking at them on paper and, uh, you know, just kind of going with what you see. And then I, if I have any storylines or have heard anything about them in the regional scene or stories or people that I listen to throughout the week and maybe they're high on them or something like that, I have a tendency to, you know, latch on to the people's opinions that I respect and stuff like that. And sometimes it's just a matter of, like, they're debuters, they have less experience, this is what they've done so far, so you're, you're pretty objective with it. And I feel like that's where you've gotten some of the leg up on me. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you guys so much for stopping by. I really hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, don't forget to go to an Apple and iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. And while you're there, don't forget to turn the notification bell on so you're on top of all the most current episodes. And while you're supporting a small independent podcast, please don't forget to check out and support the small local businesses that support the show, just like you guys by listening every single week. So make sure to check out Monique over at strongwomendesigns.com, my girlfriend Nora at dreamloudcollections.com, Ricardo at Neighborhood Auto Care, Caesar at OC Party Rentals, Bill over at William Leach Chiropractic Services, Mac Noodles, Abachi Chef, Angie Snyder with Realistic Healing Services, and last but not least, of course, MMT Fitness. Check them out on Instagram. Make sure to come down and check out the gym. First class is always free. Exit Avery Parkway off the 5 Freeway. Thank you guys so much for checking out the show today, but that's it. I am through. Don't forget to check out next week's episode, but until then, guys, enjoy the fights.